preach. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, uh, we'll get going for the evening. Father, it's no light task to try to take your word and to make much of you from it. To try to make much of Jesus, God, it's, it's not possible for any human. And so, Holy Spirit, as I just prayed, as I walked around the tent and prayed again, that you would help me to make much of Jesus. But even greater than that, that you would work in the minds and hearts of all of us that are here and that you would reveal, God, reveal how great Jesus is. God, for those who are they're not interested, oh, I pray that you would cause them to become interested. God, for those who love you, may they love you more. Make much of yourself. May we become less and you always be more. God, we love you. We pray your blessing on this time. Keep us teachable and humble to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees said, amen. And so, so far, we've looked at two things. We've looked at this truth about God. And then we've looked at this truth about the scriptures. But the point of the scriptures is not just to know the Bible. That the Holy Trinity of God is not Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. The Holy Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That it's not the Bible that I worship, but the Bible is the God's word that I might worship God. See, all the law and the prophets, they point to Jesus. The whole Testament points us to Christ. Friends, if we got to see just this little small view of what heaven's like right now, you would see myriads of myriads of angels. I mean, you kind of picture hundreds of millions of angels surrounding this throne. And all the saints who have gone before us bowing in worship, facing the throne, and on the throne is this lamb, is Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of heaven. Everything is pointed toward him. And so when you go through topics, when we talk about truth, it's all going to come back to Jesus, and you have to come to some decision. What do you do with him? What do you do with him? Do you just kind of ignore it until later? It's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of young now, Brian. I can... I'll, I'll deal with that later. Jesus is good for when you're older, but when you're young, now's the time to live. So my question to you is, have you settled for something that seems kind of like living, but it's not life? Guys, you ever gone to a one-year-old birthday party, a one-year-old birthday party and wondered why? Like, why are we doing this? The kid doesn't even know. The kid, is, the kid is fully dressed in this new outfit because all one-year-olds are worried about if they look fat in their clothes. And so all these people show up, they got tons of gifts. And so then this party's going on, and, and we did the same thing. And then all of a sudden, you, you, uh, the kid was clothed, is now it's just in a diaper. And it's time for cake for the first time. And so you put the kid in the in the high chair, all the papar paparazzi are out with their phones and their cameras like, oh my gosh. You ever notice they don't do that now for people? Like when you have a piece of cake, you're like, wait, wait, I want to take a picture. They don't care. 
And so you have this kid, and he's in his chair, and, and all of a sudden he, he looks at it, he's put the cake right in front. They don't even tell him what to do. They just put it there like it's a bomb. <laughs> the kid just stares at it, looks around, then puts his finger, then people are taking pictures more, and then takes taste the first taste, and their eyes are open. And then they look at their parents, and in their mind they're thinking, how dare you keep this from me? Then all of a sudden, the hand goes in. <laughs> it's not the finger, it's like the whole hand. People are like, that is so cute. That's so cute. Guys, have you ever tried to eat like that in a restaurant and had people said, that's so cute? Then all of a sudden, the faith just goes down into it. They just go for it. And then it's time for presents. And so you give them the gifts, and the kid opens it and put the present in front of him. But what's the kid play with? The box. You care less about the gift. If I walked up to that one-year-old and said, okay, here's, I'll put a $100 bill in front of you or a can of soup. Which one do you think he's going to go for? Can of soup. Why? Because a can of, man, a $100 bill. Can you imagine a $100 bill just laying there? I might push that kid out of the way to get a $100 bill. Not hard, but hard enough. But a can of soup, man, you can roll it, you can throw it. You can throw it at someone, they freak out, that makes you go even more. Why? Why would they do that and not go for the $100 bill? Because they don't understand the value of this, because they've settled for this. And for some of you, you're missing out on the value of what God calls life because you're so interested in things that are shiny. You're willing to settle for less than existing not thriving, just surviving. And God over here is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Have you settled? The point of the whole Bible is Jesus. It all points to him. Even the miracles, there's, there's a purpose behind the miracles that are written in the scriptures. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, for some of you, you'd sit there going, if I got to see a miracle, I'd believe. But guys, do you realize how many miracles he did here and how many people didn't believe even though they saw it? And some people say, he doesn't do the miraculous anymore. Show of hands, and we can be completely honest. How many of you prayed and they still died? Do me a favor, keep your hand up, then look around. Isn't it weird? You pray, it's like, okay, I'm just going to pray and I have all this faith, and, and yet they still died? Because the hardest thing I've ever done as a pastor was when I was a youth pastor, a long time ago, was the funeral for a 12-year-old in our youth group. I just kept sitting there. When I got the phone call, and our junior high guy, who's on a mission trip in Africa, so I took it, and I kind of knew this kid. So I remember driving to the hospital because this kid was on life support. And I remember walking in, and there's his aunt. His mom was way off, didn't want to see anyone. She's just by herself. And so when I walk in, and I see him, honestly, he looked this big. I don't know why. And his eyes were wide open, but there was no brain waves on the monitor. And the aunt just looked at me, and she said, where is he? And I said, he's not here. He's not here. 
Friends, I didn't know how to answer it completely until I went back and I looked up his name and I saw that he had surrendered his life to Jesus and he'd gotten baptized. And, and then I was able to tell them when I met with them before the funeral and say, is it Jesus? Because he's in the presence of God. He's healed. And yet it still hurts, right? And so I remember we prepared for that funeral and over about 200 middle schoolers showed up. Like they just ditched school, which I'm like, yes, for that, definitely. And these kids, they'd been warned. It's like, we, you, can't, no one, you can't all go. And I'm glad that they did. I remember sitting there and I'm like, God, how do I do this? How do I do this? What do I say? What's going to be helpful? A person starts singing and people are crying and I get up, I'm getting all choked up. And, and I just remembered, I opened it up. I said, guys, this is your time. Like, what do you want to share? What do you want to say? We had mics going around the room, and all of a sudden, this little middle school, middle school, I think he's up to my knees, little tiny guy, he stands up, and he takes the mic, he goes, this sucks. You know what I said? I said, how dare I? I didn't do that. This is what I said. You're right. You're right. Because I remember Jesus in John chapter 11, when his best, one of his best friends died, and Jesus knew he was going to bring him back from the dead. And yet, what did Jesus do when he shows up and everyone there is crying and weeping and mourning? One sister comes out, Mary or Martha comes out first and says this, if you had been here, this wouldn't happen. Have any of you ever said that to Jesus? If you were really real, like if you really cared, if you really noticed, if you noticed what I'm going through, then this never would have happened. And yet she's the one who still had faith. Yet I still believe. But Martha didn't, or Mary didn't come out at first either. Martha did. Mary stayed back. Martha goes back and says, he's calling for you. Then Mary takes off. And I think she's ticked. Because it said that she walked in such a way that everyone took notice. And they followed her thinking that she was going to the tomb to mourn. And she sees Jesus. And she hits the ground and said, if you had been here, this would have happened. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And then Jesus looked at her and looked around. In John eleven thirty five, my two, one of my one of my favorite verses. It's two words long. Jesus wept. Why would he weep? Because that's what you do when someone dies. That's when a middle school kid says, "This sucks." I could say, "You're right. You're right." It does suck. And every little kids were talking, and then parents would stand up. And, and then I just presented the gospel, and you see, you saw some students that surrendered their lives to Jesus. And then to watch as I stood, the caskets open, and as I stood there, and all the people came by, a kid would put a football jersey in because they're on the football team, and a football in. And I just stood there going, God, I don't, I don't like this, but you're good. And you're great. And just because I don't agree with you, means it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Friends, if you find yourself judging whether or not God is being good and great based upon whether or not you agree with him, do you realize that how arrogant that is because you have become the standard of what is good and great and true? Rather than pulling back and going, I don't understand it, you must, God, because you're eternal and perfect and you know everything, and so I submit, and God, just help me through the pain. See, the whole point is Jesus. 
And how thankful I am that Jesus came, and he didn't have to, but he did. He does these miraculous things. You see, I don't see it. Sometimes it doesn't come through, and I'm telling you, if you don't see the good in it yet, it's because he's not finished with it yet. If you don't see the good in it yet, just wait, because he's not finished with it yet. Guys, in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. In John chapter 3, he has this long conversation with a religious leader who came to him at night. And Jesus didn't hate him, didn't show animosity toward him. He just explained to him the things of God, about the kingdom of God. In John chapter 4, he meets this woman at a well. And she's a Samaritan. So what's the big deal about that, guys? There was such racial hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They hated each other. And in that culture, the women, they would go to the well, but they'd go early in the morning. Why? Because it's too hot during the day. So all the women would show up, they'd get the water, and they would leave. Jesus is there in the heat of the day, and one woman shows up. You know why she shows up alone? It's because she's an outcast. Because she has this questionable life that she's living, this questionable background. And Jesus just starts this conversation with her. Breaks the racial barrier, the gender barrier, because no Jewish pious man is supposed to talk to a woman. And he just says, hey, could you give me something to drink? And continues the conversation until all of a sudden she's intrigued because he's caught her attention. He starts talking about, hey, there's this Messiah. And she's like, I know there's this Messiah coming and he's gonna explain everything, but you people say you're so only supposed to worship him over there. And it's almost like Jesus paraphrases, like, don't believe everything that you hear from them. And he says, go, why don't you go get your husband? She goes, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus calls her the mat. You're right, you don't have a husband, you've had five. And the one that you're with now, it's not your husband. Guys, I know that for some of you, you picture Jesus as nice. That might not be the nicest thing he could have said in the moment. I had a professor tell me this, and I've always held on to, and I truly believe it, that Jesus is not always nice, but he's always good. He's not always nice, but he is always good. She actually goes back, and she tells everyone, and this is what she says. She goes, okay, you got to come see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. Guys, does that make you want to go see the guy if he knows all the secret things that nobody else knows about you? You know, all those secret thoughts that you're having that you haven't told anybody? Can you imagine someone coming saying, hey, you should meet this guy. He knows what's going on with you. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll stay back. Guys, isn't it amazing that Jesus, knowing everything about her, caused her to become what? Joyful and to go back to bring people back to Jesus because Jesus knows everything about them. Guys, you know how beautiful it is that God knows everything about me? No facade. I don't have to fake anything. He knows where I fail. He knows where I struggle. And then there's this beautiful thing called confession. That I can go to God and say, God, this is where I'm struggling. I don't just sit there and go, God, you know my heart. I can just sit there and go, God, I just feel like this sin is just welling up. Like this desire that my flesh has for sinful things. God, I don't like it. And I know that you don't like it. And I can be that honest. 
And when you're that honest, God's like, welcome to freedom. And you repent from that, always being welcomed by God because his desire is intimacy with us. Guys, it's all about Jesus. And so when we look at the truth about God and we look at the truth about the scriptures, we have to remember it's not just about the scriptures. It always comes back to Jesus. He's in John chapter 5, starting in verse 39. Jesus said this. He's speaking to a bunch of religious leaders, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Guys, I'm going to be honest. If Jesus isn't God, that is one of the most arrogant statements ever. Can you imagine going, can you imagine me walking up and going, guys, you're trying to find eternal life in the Bible. Let me just tell you, the Bible's talking about me. I, gotta say, I, don't, I honestly don't think you're sitting there going, that's him, that's God right there. I just don't think I'm that impressive. But for Jesus to go, all the scriptures, you think you're gonna find eternal life in them? No, 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 no. They point to me. Friends, the reason, I mean, I am constantly, back, back at our, my, the church that God has entrusted to me, I'm constantly saying, guys, get your face back in the book. Get your face back in the book. Why? Because I want them to know the Bible. No, I want them to know the Jesus of the Bible. Students, if I can encourage you with one thing. It's not just, hey, show up to camp and have this experience. And I love camp ministry. But my desire for you is that you love Jesus. Just love him with everything. Love him more than anything. I remember years ago sitting in a chapel. I think it's like toward the last year, couple years of my of my college time, and I don't know who was preaching, but they asked this question from up front. They said, imagine heaven and everything that comes with it, but imagine that Jesus wasn't there. Would you be bummed? And so I really try to take those questions honestly. And so I'm sitting there by myself thinking through it, and I don't know what he said after that because I, so, I was so focused on this, and I started going, I might be bummed for a little bit, but I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'm not going to make you turn there. This was in front of the notes, but we're going to swing over there for just a second. One of my favorite passages, Matthew chapter 4. I think that's the passage we're going to go with. In Matthew chapter 4, you're seeing Jesus, and he's got his, uh, he's got his disciples, a few of them, and he's doing these incredible miracles, and he's preaching the things of God. He's proclaiming things about the kingdom. But he's healing all these different types of people. In Mark chapter 4, start verse 18. Let me read it so I don't butcher it. No, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Guys, this is one of the things I love about this passage is because when all this stuff started happening and Jesus just starts healing, he's doing his work, all the people thought, I've got to get this person to Jesus. I got to do it. They got to know Jesus because Jesus is going to change them. Christ follower. 
We don't need to get people to a worship gathering. We need to get them to Jesus. We don't need to get people to your church. Get them to Jesus. It's about him. I'm not saying good things don't happen in those things, but it's about him. I got to get them to Jesus. Guys, in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus heals a paralytic, the room is packed because he's preaching. People are blown away by his preaching. These friends show up, at least there's four of them, they show up trying to get their paralyzed friend into the room, but they can't. I love these guys because they're like, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. So they go, come up, brainstorm. One guy goes, let's use the roof. Let's take him on the roof. We'll dig through the roof and we'll just lower him down. Imagine all our friends going, yeah, yeah, that's it. Can you imagine the paralyzed guy going, no, that ain't it. And all the friends are like, what are you going to do about it? And they go, shut up. <laughs> Low blow, man. So they just take him to the roof. They start digging through the roof. As Jesus is teaching, can you imagine as he's talking, pieces of the roof just falling flat in front of him? I'm pretty sure the passage is Peter's house. You imagine Peter over here, his wife's standing there. All of a sudden, his roof just kind of starts caving in a little bit. Going, uh, Sure. And I used to picture Jesus irritated. Like, how dare you interrupt my message? I don't picture it like that. Not just because I want Jesus to be different. Just spending time in what I feel like the Lord's revealed from his word. I picture him grinning. Maybe one's like, not my house. This is your house. Why would he smile? Because Jesus is moved by faith. He's moved by faith. Can you imagine all the people in the front row who got there early? They're supposed to get healed first. And all of a sudden, these four is like, no, we're coming. And all of a sudden, they get a hole big enough, and they just start to lower the friend. I'm pretty sure Jesus stopped preaching in this moment. He's just watching. Now, if you were the person being lowered, what would you be thinking as you're coming down? How y'all doing? <laughs> it's like, what do you say? And you're just laying there. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Guys, I'll be honest, I'm that guy, I'm like, great. I'm pretty sure that's not why we're here, but thank you very much. But why did Jesus say that? Because a whole bunch of religious leaders are listening and going, hey, no one can forgive but God alone. And then Jesus says this, so that you know that I have power to forgive sin. He looks at the paralyzed guy and goes, do me a favor. I want you to sit up. I want you to pick up your mat. I want you to walk. Can you imagine the place is silent? And all of a sudden, he just whomp. Imagine the friends up in the roof going, what the? They're freaking out. Jesus looks at them. He's like, I know. The guy, he stands up. Man, I would be bawling if I'm on the roof, just bawling, losing it. This is my friend. And I knew that if I got him to Jesus, everything would change. And as he stood up and picks up his mat and walks out, don't you think that everyone standing there would start sitting there going, who is this guy? He forgave his sins and then he did the miraculous. Only God can do both. We'd sit there and go, why do you let the guy be paralyzed? Isn't that where we jump to? 
And yet if we pull back and strive to see things from God's perspective, is it not possible that in that moment God used the infirmity of another person to bring people face to face with who he really is? As he walked out, can you imagine the friends like, we gotta get down, they start going down the roof and one jumps and gets paralyzed, that would suck. What do you think they did right when they got off the roof and they're looking at this guy and they're hugging, it's like, what do we do? How many believe that they raced? I do, because guys, that's what we do. Everything becomes a competition, everything. You guys wanna race? And would it be just like Jesus to make sure this guy ran like a cheetah? It's like he wants, bam, he's gone. They're like, oh, 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 shut up. Guys, I love what Jesus does, but the friends are sitting there going, we just have to get him to Jesus. Father of Je- followers of Jesus, are you so convinced that Jesus changes lives that you're just sitting there going, I gotta get people to Jesus? Or is he just Jesus? He's just Jesus. He makes that statement in John chapter 5. He's like, all these scriptures point to me. You're just trying to find eternal life away from me. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to do these things. In John chapter 6, if you're still there, John chapter 6, sorry, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. A large crowd followed him. Whenever I see the phrase large crowd, it's also there in Matthew chapter 4. Whenever I see the large crowd, Matthew chapter 5. My question to you, are you a part of the large crowd or are you a disciple? Because the large crowd just wants Jesus' stuff. But the disciple wants Jesus. And so when I'm sitting there in that chapel going, okay, so I'd be be kind of bummed, but I'd be all right. Guys, I was more interested in Jesus' stuff than in Jesus. And so you pray a prayer and you get saved because you don't want to go to hell and you get all this stuff. And then isn't it kind of conveying? I brought this up last night. It's like, and then if you follow Jesus, everything you've ever wanted, this is what you get. I remember this big skate outreach I did as a youth pastor with a bunch of youth pastors and pastors in the area. Like four or 5,000 people showed up, blocked off a street. And they brought in this skater guy. And I'm so glad he came, but when it was time for him to proclaim the gospel, this was his gospel message. Hey, before Jesus, I used to do everything I ever wanted to do. Man, I partied and went crazy. But then I gave my life to Jesus. And then he gave me everything I've ever wanted. How many want Jesus? And I stood there and I was like, no, that's not the gospel. And all these kids put their hands up, they had no clue what they were saying. They just wanted his stuff. Guys, I can tell you 25 something years later, heaven for me, give me a room, two chairs, and Jesus. I don't care about that. Like, streets of gold. What am I going to do? Steal a brick? <laughs> does it really matter? <laughs> it's like, it's a, it's like, it's like, what is this, my bling? Like, I'm just going to wear it around. Like, this is me. Bam. Yeah. Big B hollow. What's up? Like, I don't know. Who cares? Pearly gates, I don't care. But just hanging out with Jesus, wouldn't it be solid if Jesus just took me on a tour? of every single star he breathed out and told me all about it. Wouldn't that be solid? Every star in every galaxy. Oh, that would take forever. And that's the point. Here in John chapter 6, this large crowd is following him. 
because they saw the signs that he was that he was doing on the sick and jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples now the passover the feast of jews was at hand lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him jesus said to philip where are we gonna where do we buy bread so these people may eat so it's jesus and his disciples and i don't know if it's just the 12 or a number of disciples because he had more than 12 but when you look in the passage it says there's five thousand men and i don't think this is just like a men's club so just kind of picture like 20,000 plus people just walking to Jesus and Jesus, Philip, come here. Wow, that's a lot of people. I know it's a lot of people. I bet they're hungry. Where should we buy them bread? Philip takes his pockets like he's got no money. Judas is holding the money bag, which I never understood because he's a thief. He's like, oh, you used to have a lot more, but some of it's in my pocket. You know why Jesus said it to Philip? He was testing him because he knew what he was going to do. Then the Bible says that Andrew comes running up. And he goes, hey. He's a little boy's like, Here's five loaves and two fish. 20,000 plus people. Five loaves, two fish. It's a little boy's lunch. Guys, don't pick. Like some people go, how big were the loaves? I'm pretty sure we're not big enough for 20,000 plus people. A little boy's lunch, a little barley loaves. This is a poor boy's lunch. So just picture like five Twinkies and two sardines. That's about the size of what's going on. And Andrew's like, I got it. I got it. Five Twinkies, two sardines. And then he says this, but. Like, what will that do with so many? Guys, here's the thing. How did he get a little boy's lunch? So you look at little Bubba over here sitting on the side. And go, hey, Bubba, shut up. Give me your food. Or wouldn't it just be like a little boy to go, you can use this? Why? Because little ones, they still know this. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And then we get really smart and older, and we need him to prove it. Bless you. Don't you? Man, that's big. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so, so just, can you imagine this little five, six, seven, eight-year-old just going, you could use this, and Jesus is looking at you going, you're almost there. So it's like the, the faith of a child until you said, but. And you look at Jesus and go, Andrew, step back. And what if, what if he looks a little, come here, come here. Watch this. He looks at his disciples, why don't you all get them ready? Me and the boy got something to do. And he prays and he thanks God and he just starts to break the bread. And everyone was stuffed and there was leftovers. And it wouldn't be just like that little boy to go, dang. <laughs> Imagine him going home and mom's like, how was your day? It was good. I fed like a gazillion people. <laughs> What'd you feed him? The lunch you made. Her, her face goes all white, what? What if she's like, did they like it? They loved it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. As you go from that point where he's feeding to 5,000, you get to John chapter 6, verse 16. And friends, I know this is like a quick summary, but we're trying to get through the whole book of John in six days. 
Guys, this is so, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the Sea of Capernaum, I'm sorry, the Sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they're frightened. Guys, I think that's the proper response. Guys, if it's the middle of the night, you're on a rowboat, and as you're, you're in a storm, you feel like you're going to die, and you look out in the distance and some dude's walking on the water, I don't think you sit there and go, wait! Get the reset. Get the right filter. Hashtag, what the? They're freaked out. But when you watch the passage, what verse was it in? Verse 20. But he said to them, it's I, do not be afraid. Show of hands, how many would have messed with them just a little bit? I would have. I've been like, ooh. One of the gospel accounts, one was like, it's a ghost. Man, I would have played with that. You're right. <laughs> Grabbed a fish, threw it at the boat. <laughs> I would have gone, I would have played a little bit. But Jesus and me is like, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's me. Mark has this same passage, but doesn't record this part. John has the same passage, but doesn't record this part. Matthew has the same passage, but records the next part. The reason Mark doesn't record it is because most scholars think that Mark is pretty much just writing what Peter's preaching, what he's talking about, what he's saying. But Peter doesn't say this part of the story. <laughs> when Jesus says, no, no, it's me, don't be afraid. Everyone's thinking it's a ghost. And here comes Peter, he stands up, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Guys, if it was a ghost, don't you think the ghost could have lied? Sure, I'm Jesus. Come. And then watched him die? Lord, if it's me, tell, tell me to come to you on the water. And what's Jesus' response? One word. Come. Can you imagine all the other disciples going, go ahead, water walker. Go on. Go on, Peter. Can you imagine, as he puts his foot over the side, and all the disciples are like, this is so stupid. And then it holds. And as he takes one foot over there, now he's freaking out. And maybe he's looked back, he's like, Peter. And he puts his foot down and starts to walk. You know what I think Jesus said, come? I think it's so impressive and I think it's impressive to Jesus when, when Jesus' disciples just simply want to do the things that Jesus is doing. Guys, like what, what in the last two weeks has actually required faith? And how you've lived, what you've done, what has required faith? Peter's walking and all of a sudden he starts seeing the wind and the waves and he freaks out and he starts to sink. And it says that immediately Jesus came and he saved him. He said, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? I used to picture Jesus just ticked, like picking him up and holding him. What's up, doubter? Why'd you freak out? Don't you believe in me? Guys, I'm so thankful that that's not Jesus. 
Why'd you doubt? You were doing it. And it says that Jesus and Peter walked to the boat together and they got in. Here's the part of John. Go back to John. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. When you put all the passages together, it shows that Jesus came to them at the last watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night, about at least three in the morning. So they're straining at the oars the whole night, and Jesus sees them from a mountain while he's praying. He sees them straining, and he doesn't go and save in the moment. And this is where for maybe somebody said, that's why I can't stand Jesus. Because I called and nothing changed. It got harder. Anybody play sports? When you start practices, and I don't know if they call it this anymore. Back in the day, it's called Hell Week. There it is. So it's one or two weeks of you just in agony. And, and, and the coaches are back here going, I love this week. And their goal is to make you puke together in a bucket. Why do they do that? Just because they had a hard summer? No. So that you'll outlast the other teams when you play them. Has you ever noticed physically when we work out or when it has to hurt in order to get better? But when it comes to us walking with Jesus, we think that it's supposed to be us in a wagon and Jesus just dragging us along while we hold a Starbucks. Sometimes the greatest loving thing that God can do is to let us go through it. Because then what happens? Guys, when you take this same passage in Matthew 14, verse 33, watch, watch, watch. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Guys, there is a purpose in the storm. Do you see it? Whatever storm you've gone through or are facing, can I remind you lovingly, there's a purpose in the storm. And maybe the main purpose in the storm is this. That in that storm, Jesus would reveal more of who he is so that your response to who he is would be what? Worship. Friends, without this storm, I don't know that this would have happened at this moment. You see how all these things about Jesus just kind of makes you go, maybe I haven't been seeing him the right way. And maybe my perspective has been off. That for some of you, you've ditched him because you felt like he ditched you. Guys, I just want to encourage you. Like I said earlier, if you don't see the good in it yet, it's because he's not done with it yet. You hang in there. But there's always a purpose in the storm. At no point ever has God ever said, oops. Oops, let me fix that. Let me clean that up. I didn't know that was going to happen. I'm so sorry. Friends, guys, even the cross was always plan A. It was God's plan A. It was never plan B. Everything that comes with that, it's like, okay, my mind's going to be blown. He knew the fall was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, all part of plan A. And yet he still went through with it. Yeah. And then he still came for us. Yeah. And he still took a cross. Yeah, why? Because for God so loved the world. And all those things point us to what? Worship him. That he's worthy of it all. It's all about him. You see this massive God who spoke everything into his existence and then this God who becomes a person 
fully God and fully man at the same time. Why? Because he so loves us. All I'm asking, friends, think through it. For those that don't know Jesus, think through it. And all I'm begging you is don't settle for a can of soup. Guys, don't settle for a can of soup and think that you're actually living. But followers of Jesus, may we be so in love with him and so blown away by him and so filled by his Holy Spirit that comes through us spending time in the word and living in obedience to denying our selfish and sinful desires and striving to live this life that's set apart for God. May our lives look so different that people go, man, what you believe, some of it's all weird, but you sure have a difference. You sure love us. It breaks my heart that the world knows that what we're against today, Christians, but they don't know what we're for. At some point, we actually took the tactics of the world and became, we let them become our own rather than when Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I don't want you to pray for those who persecute you. And if it be God's will that you suffer, that you would suffer well. Friends, that's what the Bible says. The law and the prophets point to Jesus. The whole point of the scriptures is Jesus. And you look at the life of Jesus. Guys, think about it. Blind people went home seeing. Deaf people went home hearing. Those who couldn't walk went home walking like we looked. And when you look at John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Guys, the point of the miracles is not just this, wow, look, God can do some tricks. The purpose of the miraculous is to bring people to a place of surrendering to the God who does the miraculous. And it only comes through repentance, turning to Jesus, and surrendering. But it's all Jesus. You may say, Brian, I don't agree with you. That's okay. But here's what I want you to do. Instead of, instead of showing me that four and a half minute YouTube video by some dude that made it in his mama's basement, what I'd rather you do is to show me logically why here's the thing. I'm going to take a book that's changed cultures and societies and people and millions and millions and millions of people over the last 2,000 years have given their life to follow Jesus. I'm going to take the track record of those who truly follow Jesus and the good that's come because followers of Jesus actually take Jesus at his word and go love their enemies and pray for those who persecute and live generous lives. We give up things so that other people can simply live. I'm going to go on that. I'm going to stand on that, the history of the church that follows Jesus, but I'm going to stand on the foundation of Jesus. All I'm asking you, answer this question. Before we go into this last song of worship, answer this question. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Friends, he is that impressive. He is that awesome. And that God is wild and crazy about you. Can I pray for us? Do you mind if I pray? Let me pray.
Jesus, I want to thank you. I'm just thankful for who you are. And because of who you are, I'm thankful that you can do whatever you want. And I'm thankful that because you can do whatever you want, I can be still and know that you're God. And I pray that that would be something that all of us in the room who, fo- who are followers of you, that would become reality for us. But God, for all those who don't know you, they haven't surrendered their life to you and received salvation. Father, I pray that you would draw them to your son. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict them of their sin. That they might turn to Christ and receive salvation when they surrender to him as Lord. That Jesus, in all things, you are worthy. Even in the midst of the storm, God, you're worthy. And Jesus, when we come out of the storm, you're worthy. So, Father, I thank you for the storms. Jesus, I thank you that you let us go through them, but I thank you that your ever, ever watchful eye is on us the whole time, that you're with us by your Holy Spirit helping us, leading, guiding, encouraging, empowering, enabling. And so, God, whatever season of life we're in, mountaintop experiences or valley, or everything in between, God, in this moment, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to worship Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill this place. May this this moment make Pentecost look like JV. And do something that just leaves us amazed and revives our hearts for the cause of the gospel because Jesus, you're worth it. And as you do, God, to you be all the praise all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of Christ's followers said, amen. Love you more than you know.